Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. It's Friday, October 13th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 70, the Dennis Rodman, who did, by the way, wear number 70 with the Dallas Mavericks, uh, one of many numbers he wore throughout his career. It's also Friday the 13th, so who better to name this episode after than the worm himself of the Walder Sportscast. I'm Chris Walder, your host, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. Go follow me there, and be sure to rate and review this podcast when you're done here. Leave five stars if you can, helps the podcast out a bunch, and helps more people find me. Now, before I get underway here, I do want to address something very quickly, and I probably shouldn't, but it's my podcast, and I guess it's always better to hear things from the horse's mouth rather than just a few tweets here and there. And what I want to talk about is Toronto Raptors forward Scotty Barnes blocking me on Twitter. And yes, I did talk about this at nauseum on my account, and the reason I acknowledged it in the first place is because those of you who, who do follow me on the regular, I have been chronicling his climb up the Raptors all-time scoring list with regular tweets during Raptors games. It's kind of my shtick. Whether or not you find it annoying, it is something that I do. All I really want to add is that, A, it's 100% okay that Scotty blocked me. It's social media. I think anyone should enhance their experience by blocking accounts they find annoying, abusive, or anything like that. It's really not a big deal. He's not the first Raptor to block me, and he probably won't be the last. And second... To that Reddit thread I acknowledged where pretty much everyone said they found me annoying, that's alright too. I, I really shouldn't have taken a deep dive on that, nor should I have really acknowledged it in the first place. I can take things personally, and that's a character flaw that one really shouldn't have when they're trying to carve out a space in media. And that's my ultimate goal in order to do that. I have to be able to take it on the chin once in a while, knowing that I can't please everyone all of the time. I want to have fun and make people smile or laugh or learn through my content, but that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And believe me, I never wanted sympathy, but I can understand the fact that it definitely came off that way. And I realize that now, so I do apologize for that. But onward and upward, they say, I want to have a more positive experience uh, using Twitter moving forward. That's the last I'm going to ever bring it up, I promise you that. But really, you're not here to listen to me. You are here for today's guest. And joining me on today's program is someone who really doesn't do a heck of a lot of appearances or podcasts. His name is Cashton. And for Toronto Raptors fans, you know him better as Pascal Propaganda or at Pascal Fan Club on Twitter. He's a hardcore Raptors fan, to say the least. And he does go deep into his fandom on today's show. And Obviously, we do talk a lot about Pascal Siakam, of course, as well as a really special contest that he's already pulling off on his account, which you should all be checking out. But before I do bring him on, I recently brought back the Walder Sportscast with a pair of interviews featuring Raptors Republic's Alex Adams and Raptors HQ Editor-in-Chief Chelsea Late, both of which you should be giving a listen to when you're done here. Every download, review, and rating really does go a long way towards supporting the show, and it lets me know what you like and don't like, so go give it a listen when you can if you haven't already. But with all of that being said, though, Cashton of Pascal Propaganda will be with me after this quick break, so keep it locked. Perfect!
Joining me now is Cashton, the man behind the infamous Twitter account Pascal Propaganda with over 7,000 followers at the time of recording. Follow him on Twitter at Pascal Fan Club. Cashton, welcome to the Walder Sportscast, my friend. Thank you for having me. This is uh, you know a big moment for the Pascal Propaganda fandom. So <laughs> this this will pale in comparison to everything else you do for the remainder of the year and the remainder of your life. But again, thank you for the compliment. I do appreciate it. We we were just talking a little bit here before recording. We have something in common besides our love of Raptors basketball. You and I both have orange cats, and it sounds like your orange cat is a little bit better when it comes to playing uh, with like toys and, and throwing like softies or balls at him it sounds like your cat is a, a lot better at playing fetch than my cat walter yes he is a very very active cat he jumps extraordinarily high for a cat of his size for context he's about 15 16 pounds so we we jokingly refer to him as zion williamson and williamson in the house because he's you know a, a a thicker build, but uh, he can just fly. Like he's jumping all the time. <laughs> he's running around the house, and yes, he, he fetches his favorite game for sure. I just had to feed my cat Walter before we started recording because he was jumping up here on the table where my mic and my laptop are set up. He doesn't have the Zion William uh, Williamson hops. He, he kind of jumps on the chair and then he jumps on the table. But he's distracted now. We have a clean slate here. And uh, again, a, a cool fun fact that we both are, are orange cat lovers. But uh, I, like I mentioned off the top here, I'm only using your first name. It's kind of like you're very mysterious, Cashton. You know, you have the Pascal <laughs> Propaganda Twitter account. It kind of reminds me of a show I did uh, a little over a year ago when I had the owner of the Aaron Baines fan club on my show. Mm. He was very secretive about his identity. He was kind of like Batman. You can't reveal that he's Bruce Wayne for all you comic book fans out there. But but Cashin, I've seen you make appearances on Yahoo Sports Canada recently. You had a, a fun chat with my friend Amon. So obviously this may not be a big deal in theory, but was there any kind of hesitation on your part to put your face and name out there publicly? Or did you ever care about it in the first place? Or was it just kind of a trivial thing to you? Uh, I think it was a little bit of a trivial thing at first. Then the account got a little bigger and I was just a little like, ah, and my name is like, my first name is fairly unique. And then I, I have a fairly unique last name as well. So it's just a matter of creating some kind of divide <laughs> between these two identities. <laughs> but I will share like I the photo I posted. So this is sort of going into the lore of Pascal Propaganda. So probably the biggest moment of the account was... Uh, uh, on uh, just a, mo like a day or two after after my wedding, uh, Pascal Siakam himself retweeted a photo from the wedding, and of course my face is in that. Uh, I didn't you know conceal my identity on my wedding day. Uh, <laughs> but but since then I've had people come up to like I to say I get recognized I think is overstating it. But I play a lot of pickup basketball and I'm in different basketball rec leagues and. I'm like, I think two or three occasions I've had someone come up to me and say, are you, is that you? And I have to you know, come clean at that point. Uh, so it's it's been a fun way to kind of connect with people just about a shared love of basketball. Because I always use social media for my research for my guests, and I totally forgot the fact that, yeah, Pascal Siakam did acknowledge your wedding photo. That must have been one of the highlights of your Twitter usage, right? Oh, yeah. It made it all worth it. It's otherwise a hellscape, but it's uh, it's a really... <laughs> It's it's it was a really fun day. I mean, any I mean, I understand you got married fairly recently too, and uh, you know, a wedding weekend is is really fun. It's exhausting. The day after was like it was one of the most exhausting days of my life. Um, but the the way that story went, um, 
my my wife's maid of honor is uh, lives in France, and her and her partner were staying with us over the course of the lead up to the wedding and just the day after. And we we're having dinner right before they had to leave for the airport. And I was just on Twitter because I'm antisocial sometimes and I was exhausted. <laughs> I just ha I happened to just check my, I was like, ah, oh, this is weird. And I, I just laughed maniacally for like 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> it was the rudest thing I could have done after these close friends of ours were about to leave back to Europe for a while. But all my days, it was, uh, it was hilarious. And, uh, like the photo we got, it's one of the photos we got printed, not the tweet, but the photo itself. So it carries an extra bit of sentiment now because it was just a fun sort of, uh, wholly positive memory. Well, I, I wasn't that fortunate when, uh, it comes to my favorite Toronto Raptor, uh, acknowledging my wedding. In fact, he did the polar opposite and he blocked me on social media for anyone who follows me, uh, at Walder Sports. And I, I'll mention that in the intro to this podcast. But uh, again, that, that's such a cool moment. Uh, again, having Pascal acknowledge your wedding, of course. And yes, I, I did get married myself back in December at Disney World, which I've uh, talked at nauseum about. But I, I, I do, like I mentioned, I do like using Twitter for my research for, for all of my guests here at the Walder Sportscast and like I said this is kind of one of those rare instances where your Twitter account isn't necessarily primarily about you it's about something else entirely but before we get into that Cashton since Raptors Twitter may not know a great deal about your backstory how long have you actually been a fan of the Toronto Raptors like are you a lifelong fan or did you just come on recently what drew you to the franchise initially so it goes back even before I was born. My parents uh, are both from Ireland, uh, emigrated to Canada, and for whatever reason, they decided that they would take a road trip to Arizona. And they, knowing nothing about basketball, they just saw a Phoenix Sun starter jacket. And they're like, oh, this is cool. What's the NBA? That's a cool jacket. We'll buy it. And then a couple of years after that, the Toronto Raptors get announced. My mom's favorite thing in the world at that point was the Jurassic Park movie. So she bought this starter jacket. That was my intro. I was probably two or three years old at that point. Um, and following that, uh, my parents were also deathly afraid of any of us getting into hockey. They found it to be too expensive. They didn't want to wake up at five in the morning to drag kids to go skate. Um, so they bought me a, like a little Fisher Price basketball net. And that's how I got into basketball. Just through ba basketball at that for hours and hours and hours every day and just began an obsession with basketball that grew from there. So uh, just begging my parents, like, oh, take me to the Raptors, take me to the Raptors, eventually did that and just fell in love with the sport, the team. And I'd say my fandom probably got the most intense around the 06, 07 season. That's when I was at the right age to really appreciate it. That, that team with Jorge Garbajosa and Jose Calderon and TJ Ford, I just love that group of players and just the way they played. And, you know, had your, you have to have your first heartbreak to really fall in love as a fan. So that, that, that series against the, the New Jersey Nets at that time, uh, you know, sort of cemented the heartbreak. And, uh, yeah, it was it, – that's, that's sort of how I got into it. And then for, you know, the Pascal Siakam fandom, it was one of these things where I remember being at the draft party. So for those who don't know, I'm a Raptors season seat holder. And I, I got on to that uh, in 2014. And with the, I was invited to a draft party in 2016. And I remember just that night of the, the, the whole fan base being like, please, Scott Labissier, Deontay Davis, one of these two guys, and both of them are available at that 27th pick. And we draft Pascal Siakam. I'll be totally honest. I did not know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I 
I because I, at that point I was reading Draft Express and I was trying to keep up with all the prospects and did a quick Google search. And I remember writing on a forum, oh, I think he could be Tristan Thompson. Like, he seems like a good energy big. And of course, he has far exceeded the career of Tristan Thompson in you know just a short seven years. Um, and yeah, the rest is history. There, it was so like he has the greatest story in sports to me. You know, someone who comes from from you know uh, an, an unheralded background, rises against the odds, and becomes a, a star, and wins a championship, and, and gives back to his community. It's an awesome, like straight from the movies kind of story. It's impossible not to love. Was there anybody else in the running to make a fan account for instead of Pascal Siakam? Like you mentioned, like a, a Jorge Garbajosa and, and Calderon, and <laughs> TJ Ford. Maybe you'd kick it old school and devote an account to them, Cashton. I think honestly, the timing was the biggest thing because I was not active on Twitter at all until the pandemic. And of course, I, with Pascal Siakam being one of my all time favorite players, and the pandemic also overlapping with a point of extraordinary negativity towards one of my all time favorite players, <laughs> it, it sort of became a place where I, I, the only place I had to go to connect about basketball was online. So I'd go on Twitter and I'd read what people were writing and, you know, it was extraordinarily, you know, and I get it, like, whatever, we don't have to get into that. But I just wanted to create a counter narrative and just highlight any of the good that happened. And if there was bad, just have fun trying to spin it and just have fun with that. Because, you know, with the pandemic, I couldn't get out to play basketball. I was working from home. There wasn't anything going on. So I was just like, okay, this is how I'm going to connect with basketball and build a community that way. And it kind of spiraled from there. Um, so that was really the rationale. It was just uh, the pandemic being what it was. And he was kind of the main target <laughs> of, of criticism at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to just zig what everyone else zags. I'm going to be the most positive Pascal Siakam fan there is. Well, I think anyone could have assumed by looking at your Twitter account that you were a hardcore Raptors fan based simply on the fact that you did have a post uh, not too long ago of a stash of Toronto Raptors t-shirts that you keep in your apartment cashed in. How many Raptors shirts do you actually own? More than I can count. Like, you have to, like, every time you go to a game, so as a season C holder, you go to you know enough games, they give out shirts fairly regularly. I'm a little too competitive when they start throwing the shirts into the crowd. So, you know, I have, have a few from that. But you go and you have a pair of tickets. Over time, you, you end up having twos of all these different shirts. And then, you know, of course, you have to buy the shirts if they have a dinosaur on them. That's my rules. <laughs> Amen. Um, so it, it, you you wind up going all this way. Um, so if I had to, and I'll be honest, I have so many, that like some of the older, rattier ones that are just like, they say, like, we the North. My wife's cut up and turned into like rags and stuff. We just have so many of them. Like it's, yeah. it's like it's we're bursting <laughs> at the seams of Raptor shirts and like and then at home, like at my parents' place, I've got like more Raptor stuff there. Like just in my like in my office, there's like two or three like little Raptor stuffies. Like I don't know. I, I every time I, it's it's too much. It's like honestly kind of embarrassing. Maybe that's why I hide my identity. It's the 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 number of Raptors just goods I own. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no such thing as being too hardcore of a Toronto Raptors fan. I'm a lifelong Raptors fan myself. It goes back into the 90s when the franchise start, first came into inception. But but you said you're, you're a little bit above that uh, in my realm because you're actually a season ticket holder for the Raptors. D does MLSC treat you well considering you're a season ticket holder? Or are there any perks? Or I assume the prices are a lot more expensive than they once were. 
Oh yeah, and just to quickly, I don't think you need to be a season C holder to be, you know, a big fan. I think there are certainly a number of season C holders who are barely fans. Uh, so just to make sure, that, so yeah. anyone out there listening to this, you don't like, don't let that be the sort of determining. Uh, for me, it was obviously like I was just obsessed with the Raptors, and the moment I I had a job that could allow me to buy tickets, that was the first thing I did. Um, but in terms of does MLSD treat me well? That's a very interesting question. Uh, my gut instinct is I think they take a lot of fans for granted. I'm afraid to say um, there is a really big shift that's happened. I'd say certainly since the championship, but I'd say even in the couple of years preceding that, where they understood that the demand for this product just far outweighed. I'd say even the demand for hockey, certainly the demand for soccer or concerts or anything. They have this captive audience that's growing and growing and growing, um, which why, you know, we don't have to get into this right this instant, but why the decision to not expand into the WNBA made absolutely zero sense to me. Um, there's there's such a, an appetite for basketball in this city, in this country, that to not sort of expand the supply of what's available I think it, it's just a short-sighted and somewhat uh, selfish decision, really. I think they just want to gobble it up and keep it all for themselves. Uh, the positive self <laughs> being a fan, like again, like it being there in person, like I've had some of the greatest. Like, like if I, if someone took away my season seats tomorrow, to be able to say I was there for the 2019 championship run, like I, I a bit embarrassed to say, just because it's sort of embarrassed by the the sort of the privilege of it, like at you know the the Kawhi shot game at the you know game six against the Bucks, game one and five of the finals. Like it was just one of the most special. Like my as a kid, my dream was always to attend even just one NBA Finals game. I didn't care where, and to now be in a position where I got to see all of that, I can like die happy. Really, like it's to ask for any oh, yeah. more would be to be gluttonous. Really. And I remember actually, <laughs> I remember like right before the 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 Kawhi free agency, I remember texting this friend I have who is a New York Knicks fan. He's actually a New York Knicks. He's moved back to New York and he's a Knicks season seat holder. And I remember texting him like, oh yeah, we got to sign Kawhi back and run it back. And he's like, don't get greedy. And of course, you know, I, I would have been, I, I would have liked to be greedy for just one more year, but that's okay. <laughs> so uh, short, short answer to your question. No, MLSE is uh, a, a vampiric uh, kind of organization that sucks the money and fun out of lots of things that we hold near and dear. <laughs> well, t tell me how you really feel, Cashton, because look, I, I, I did see you on Twitter going on a little bit of a tangent about MLSC, especially after it was announced and the potential rationale behind it of not bringing a WNBA team to Toronto. You were harsh, but fairly fair in your criticism. Like, the floor is yours. If there's anything else you want to add about MLSC right now, please go for it. No, I, I think they, they have a really, one, it's clearly clear that they're dysfunctional. Like, I, I don't know any of the people who make decisions at MLSE. Personally, I have no firsthand experience. I'm a customer at the end of the day, and I think that's how they see me. Um, and I think they see me as a customer that uh, they can charge, you know, what's that scene in the wire, elastic versus inelastic demand? I think they have, they think they have a product with inelastic demand. They can set the price to whatever they want. And, you know, to the, to their, you know, to their credit, I guess, uh, the market seems to be bearing that to some degree. But you're seeing it have a material impact on the, the quality of the fan experience. You go to games, people are priced out of being able to take their families. And it's not as though we're, you know, 
one of a hundred clubs in the world that treat their fans like this. You look at some of the biggest football clubs in, in the world, Arsenal, Real Madrid. These are big global names that have millions and millions mm -hmm. of fans. And they still manage to come up with youth pricing, young adult pricing. They manage to put their prices at a, at a, a point where people can still have great memories and form lasting experiences. I think I flipped that. Great experiences, lasting memories as a fan in their building and, and have an affinity with what it means to be a Raptors fan or in their case, you know, Real Madrid or Arsenal fan. And, you know, for them not to see that you create this passion because of kids starting out with this or people who are new to the city uh, falling in love with the team by being able to be there and come together as a community to support it and not because it's the hottest ticket in town. Eventually, the team is going to be bad, you know, not just mediocre. They're going to have a bad season at some stage. And to not create a connection between the team and community is when you'll start to see that building empty out again. When I was in school, this is, you know, 2011, 2012, you used to be able to buy a $10 ticket, donate $10 to the MLSE Foundation and sit in the lower bowl. I used to, I did that you know, 20, 30 times a year, <laughs> you, know, you know, being hyperbolic to you know, make that point, but did it often enough where I was going to game sitting in the lower bowl for 20 bucks and I would go on my own. Like it was just this, this like, crave. I, I love Raptors basketball. And it's getting to the point now where it's it honestly feels like they're just trying to take blood from a stone from a lot of fans. And uh, it hurts. Like, it, it's really sad to see because some of the most passionate people about this team are the ones who, you know, have to make a choice between going to the game and, you know, maybe having a different life experience or investing in their education, whatever it is. And, uh, you know. It's creating more and more barriers to enjoy, you know, this this precious thing. Um, and for them, what I saw the WNBA to bring sort of full circle, what I saw the WNBA franchise as was an entry point for for people who couldn't afford to get into the w, into the NBA games anymore, um, because it's an amazing product. Uh, the WNBA preseason game that was hosted in Toronto uh, was outstanding. Um, and the the crowd atmosphere, the quality of the product, like you're seeing in the WNBA finals right now, this Las Vegas Aces team is out of control good. And for the for the MLSE to not want to be a part of that is uh, mind boggling, uh, just given the demand that exists. Anyways, long winded answer, but the, the, the experience of a fan really matters to me like more than anything. There's there's no such thing as a long winded answer here on the Walder Sports Cast, Cashton, because again, the reason I do this podcast in the first place is because I want to present a forum to my guests to speak their piece, speak their mind. And look, you're, you're putting me to shame here. I could listen to you talk all day. We could just name this podcast after you, my friend. But but again, I appreciate your sentiment. And I, look, I've been a Raptors fan for, for many, many years myself. I remember spending just, you know, like $10, $20, whatever it was to go in the Sprite Zone in the corner of the yeah. Air Canada Center to watch a game like it was very inexpensive at, for a fan like me to go catch a game but now the only way I can go barring getting like a rare credential which is not coming anytime soon is having friends with season tickets who give them to me at a discounted rate and yeah again I would love to see more Toronto Raptors games I'm not in the city myself but man is it getting expensive it's it's I mean it's you see it in every facet of life in Toronto and in the country and it's kind of this global phenomenon um, but the the to focus the uh, you know the the inflation crisis <laughs> on the Toronto Raptors specifically, 
right. I just think it's it's one of these things that is incredibly short-sighted um, to not even have a fa- like, there are things that they could do where they would still make a ton of money if they were to just section off a part of the the arena and dedicate that to fans and say you know this is you know a place where if you want to spend the whole game on your feet cheering getting into it and creating an atmosphere that's great for the tv uh it creates an ambiance in the arena and it builds your reputation as a fan base you know because perception creates our reality right you watch on tv there's that sacramento kings clip where the microphone basically explodes when kevin herter hits that mm-hmm. three last season it creates this perception oh the sacramento kings have the best fan base in the world and you know that i don't think that's too far from the truth i think they're great fans but you know you can create that by you know Dallas Mavericks they put a microphone in the basket so it sounds like <laughs> it's the worst sounding arena in the league but it sounds loud <laughs> yeah. um, but it's uh, so you 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 end up having an environment where you don't have to give up that many seats it could be 500 600 and make them similar to what they do on Broadway right like make them available day of you know uh, rush tickets type of thing because if you're if you care about getting a wide range of your fan base into the building. Those are the things you do. If what you're doing is trying to maximize the the profit margin on every single ticket in that building, uh, you you you'd go the opposite direction. Like something I'll share with your with your audience is, as a season seat holder, they tell me what the face value is for my ticket. Well, the face value for my ticket is actually <laughs> like different than what's on Ticketmaster because of the Ticketmaster fees and then dynamic pricing. Ah. Like. Like with like the face value, quote unquote, for the Bucks tickets, they released it and two days later, they went up 55% because of the Dame trade, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they flex those tickets, they make it so they just get every last dollar out. Of it. And it, it, I think it'll, those chickens will come home to roost one day when the, the team isn't as good. And, you know, we're, we'll be at a point where there isn't just as much disposable income, right? If we're in a recession and the team isn't good what's the first thing that people cut right oh well, i just i won't go to the raptors game this year i won't go to the three right. or four raptors games this year and uh it makes sense like you have to do what's and if you're not because if you're not building that that loyalty if you're not building that camaraderie between a team and fan you're not creating avenues for people to go when you know we're in lean times people won't go and you'll just have these corporate season seat holders. And I don't mean that as the people, I mean, literal corporations that own the season seats and dole them out to clients. So yeah, it's uh, anyways, <laughs> 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 I, I, it's, uh, it's something I, I, yeah, I, 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 and I suppose the other thing I'll share is one thing I do on my account is I raffle off tickets for, for fundraisers. So after this airs, my hope is, uh, you know, for anyone interested, we'll be raffling off a pair of tickets for for uh, Sojourn House, which is an organization here in Toronto that supports uh, refugees uh, coming to the city. And uh, yeah, you make like a ten dollar donation, you'll be up for for a raffle for some tickets, my tickets. Um, so yeah, well, just to try to do some good with these tickets ultimately, and try to build community around them, because that's ultimately what sport is about for me. And that's at Pascal Fan Club on Twitter, if anyone's interested in getting yeah. in on that. And I saw a tweet of yours as well, kind of correlating to this to the MLSC issues, is that it looks like the Scotiabank Arena is going to have a major renovation, a major overhaul in its look. Um, you yourself said that it's looking more like a condominium than an actual sports arena. Uh, I'm getting the same vibe. Maybe it kind of looks like an airport as well. You think this is going to be for the betterment of the arena, for the betterment of the team? Because it could also result in ticket prices going even further up 
Oh, no doubt. They, they said it's $350 million. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> a little invest, bit of change. <laughs> yeah. You don't invest $350 million out of the goodness of your heart, right? So they're, they're expecting this to increase, I'm sure, every facet of uh, the fan experience. So like, you go in, I think I saw this like grab and go, because uh, again, not to get too into the sort of business of sport, um, sort mm-hmm. of and how that impacts the fan experience. But what I saw in that rendering was almost like that Amazon grocery shopping experience where you walk in, you pick something up and you leave. So I think what they're likely trying to do is have almost a self-service model where they can have less staff in that building um yeah get you spending more and making it feel frictionless so oh i'm just picking up a, a bottle of some drink and then it hits your credit card and you don't even feel it um and then of course you invest all of that the prices of all these individual items will go up the merchandise will go up the tickets will be more expensive um because it you know what and I, if this had come with we're investing 350 million dollars to create uh, WNBA franchise and sort of promote the longevity of the Toronto Raptors because ultimately I'd rather that they renovate the arena than tear this thing down and go build it on the outskirts of Toronto like you see with a lot of like if if you follow like the San Francisco 49ers as an example like they're they're out in sort of they're they have no connection to San Francisco really you know if it's a car you know America's largely car driven and San Francisco is no exception but if you're not a car driver, you're not getting to, to a 49ers game. I think what's really <laughs> great about the, and then not to pick up the 49ers, but I think a lot of, I guess another example would be like uh, MetLife Stadium in, you know, quote unquote, New York, but uh, you're, you're out in like East Rutherford, I guess. Uh, so you have a scenario where the, the arena is downtown. It's connected to all these different transit systems. It makes it a lot more accessible for people to get to. So I'm glad that they're doing it that way. But how did it come on the heels of, a, a WNBA announcement to say, look at all that's going to happen in this arena and we're investing to make this a permanent fixture downtown. I think that would have, you know, softened the blow a little bit. And look, if, if for Raptors fans out there who aren't uh, accustomed to spending $20 on a slice of pizza and a drink of Coke Zero and a Kit Kat bar, just be prepared. You're going to be spending 25 to $30 once all these renovations come through and everything skyrockets even more. But again, Cashton of Pascal Propaganda at Pascal Fan Club on Twitter here with me on the Walder Sportscast today. Cashton, I do want to talk a little bit of basketball with you. Again, I would love Please, to talk even more about MLSC and Scotiabank Arena with you. But I do want to talk about Pascal Siakam. And he was kind of one of the major talking points coming out of the Raptors' recent media day where the the fun word of the day apparently was selfish. And they weren't outright coming out and saying that Pascal Siakam was a selfish player, but they weren't necessarily denying that either. We had Masai Ujiri kind of referencing it, other players on the roster kind of dabbling into that topic as well when you heard those comments about selfish and and the last year's roster and maybe not playing as cohesively as they could did you take that as a shot at pascal or was there anyone else on the raptors roster do you think that was directed at was that the right time to really address those issues cashton to answer the last part first it was certainly not the right time uh media day should be again i'm not a media person my perception of media day is it's your chance to create the most uh, positive, banal media stories imaginable. Well, look at my players, you know, look at the players on the Raptors playing with puppies. Look at them, you know, talking about their favorite Drake songs. Like this is the, it should be easy. And instead the day is spent talking about who's sending veiled shots at who. Um, 
I also I also think a lot of sort of mental gymnastics went into pretending that this wasn't happening because right if someone like the scenario let's just put it in different terms right if someone went and asked you know your if you went and asked your boss like hey can i get a raise and they said oh we believe in you we also believe that a lot of staff didn't pull their weight last year and we want to see them help the company yeah. so so let's see what happens this year when we're not lazy like it would be very obvious <laughs> like it, it's hard not to connect these two dots and he went as far as Masai, that is, went as far as saying like, hey, we don't want to extend Pascal until we see how he fits in with Darko's system, as he could. Um, and uh, to me, it's the most, again, short-sighted, uh, sort of self-sabotaging thing I think you could do. You've got a player who's 29 years old. He's a two-time All-NBA, two-time All-Star uh, player at a position of incredible importance in the league, right? He's a, a versatile, big wing who can initiate the offense, score at all three levels, score with the ball in his hand, score as an off-ball cutter, mover, shooter, right? He He's an, a great defender to boot. Awesome player uh, who's an expiring uh, contract. Now, you look at the free agent landscape that's coming up this summer, You've got a lot of teams, some of them quite competitive, I would add, with personal connections to Pascal, right? You look at uh, the Sixers as a prime example with Nick Nurse as coach uh, and Joel Embiid as the star, who will have mm -hmm. max cap space. And you look at the list of potential free agents, you've got Pascal Siakam, you've got DeMar DeRozan, you've got Clay Thompson. Oh, and by the way, you've got OG Ananobi. Pascal Siakam <laughs> is without yeah. question the best free agent in this class. And from a historical perspective, it is kind of cool. This might be the first time in Raptors franchise history that a Raptor will be the marquee uh, free agent in the class. Bad news for the Raptors. Uh, they've done everything they can to upset him leading into this. It's like, so, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, the good and the bad of it, I suppose. Uh, so I, my takeaway from media, and even like this first preseason game, right? It was a stark contrast in what we saw from last season to this season and how they use Pascal. Pascal, for the most part, was in the corner. Pascal Siakam was mostly used as a decoy. Um, we also saw him, uh, you know, looked off on a lot of plays uh, by various playmakers, not to single mm -hmm. any specific playmaker out. It wasn't one player, it was the whole team. And I, I don't think this is rooted specifically in you know, personal animus between specific players. I think they are making a concerted effort to initiate this change. And I think the most positive read of this is your best player needs to show their bot in. And what better way to show your bot in by sacrificing? Saying, you know what, at least for this preseason, I'm going to give up my touches. Maybe even for the first few weeks of the season, I'm going to give up my touches. I'm going to be there. I'm going to compete hard on defense. I'm going to make that extra pass, even if I don't expect to get that ball back. Um, so... I think they're asking a lot of this star player to say, not only we need you to prove it in this new system, but we also need you to prove it uh, as a player that you're able to adapt when he's been one of the most adaptable players in the league. So anyways, that's, that's I think uh, there's been a lot of 
really interesting things happening on and off the court as it relates to his relationship with the franchise. But are the Toronto Raptors playing with fire right now, Cashton? Because we just yes. saw last summer what <laughs> happened with Fred Van Vliet walking to the Houston Rockets when they could have easily traded him at the trade deadline. We've seen a lot of Raptors from that 2019 championship team, obviously different circumstances for each player, but they left the franchise without providing any compensation. Thankfully, a guy like Kyle Lowry netted you a precious Achua, for example, a player for the future, but can the Raptors really risk it with Siakam leaving this summer, even though he does sound like he wants to say that the franchise can give him more money and more years? But at the same time, we're, we're kind of going off recent events here with Van Vliet. There's very much a chance that Siakam could leave. Well, and you don't even have to, you can go off recent events, you can go off historical events. The Raptors don't have a positive history when it comes to retaining top talent. Exactly. Uh, Right. It's it's sort of opening old wounds when we start thinking about whether it's via trade or free agency, the, the various players who have asked out, left and, you know, on and on and on. So, yes, absolutely. They're playing with fire. They they need to uh, look at what they have. And this isn't to say that by extending Pascal Siakam right this instant, you are locking yourself into a future where you can't trade him where you can't rebuild. You can't go young. Uh, all you're doing is making sure that the player who very much wants a long-term contract, who would very much be worthy of that long-term contract and would hold value with the 29 other teams in the league, it remains on your team. That's all you're doing. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's asset management that aligns with the player's interest. He wants, you know, all the reporting indicates he wants a long-term deal with the Raptors. Uh, for you as a franchise, it makes sure, like you said, you're not losing the player in free agency. It also means that if you do have to go into trade negotiations, you're operating from a position of strength. You know, uh, part of the reporting and what Masai himself said was the trade returns for Fred Van Vliet at the deadline were, were not that appealing. My, my understanding from what I've seen reported is that Grayson Allen was one of the uh, potential returns, which, you know, oh boy. for one, I'm very <laughs> glad that Grayson Allen is not a Toronto Raptor. Uh, I'd rather lose Fred for nothing than have Grayson Allen on my team. But uh, no offense, I don't know personally, but, you know, um, again, I'll spare you my inner mother right there. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the thinking, though, of, oh, just to make him prove it. This is a, I don't know what else he has to prove, really. Uh, he's consistently, at worst, a top 30 player in the league by all sort of available metrics, lists. And then you actually go into the nuts and bolts of who he actually is as a player in terms of his accolades, his performance. He's very clearly a top 20 player at minimum in the NBA. And these are players who are, I can't think of another player in this circumstance with his track record of winning, of personal recognition, uh, with such a positive connection to the community that uh, has had to basically prove himself in year eight worthy of another contract. Uh, I, I think Samson Folk asked it on, on media day and got some of those really, you know, insightful answers from Masai. I don't know if Masai intended for these insights, but uh, that's, I guess, the job of a really good question from a reporter to get the insights you weren't thinking of giving. But they, uh, for them not to sign him to an extension, I think would be one of, it would set the franchise back considerably. Because you look at who's left from that championship team, who stepped foot on that court. It's, it's just Pascal, that's it. And for him either to walk mm. and for, or worse, for him to walk with a sour taste in his mouth, where he felt as though I did everything for this franchise I could. I invested in myself. I got better. I helped the team. I sacrificed. Uh, I won this team a championship. 
and for them to say we don't think you're worthy of a contract uh it's looking at one of your club legends and saying you know uh, your history doesn't matter it's taking it for granted which is just why i had such a negative reaction to it and lest we forget how the DeMar DeRozan situation unfolded, obviously it netted us Kawhi Leonard and it brought the franchise an NBA championship, but perhaps his uh, thoughts of the franchise weren't exactly high of Masai Ujiri in the front office once that trade went through. And you kind of touched on it yourself there about overall rankings of Pascal Siakam, where he falls in kind of the NBA pecking order, and we'll get into that momentarily. But if you are weighing the percentages cashed in, what do you think the chances are that Siakam ends this upcoming season in the Toronto Raptors jersey like place your bets give me some numbers here percentage wise I I think it largely depends on how the team performs because I think if the team is good Masai and by extension I I do think there's a a sort of a mandate from MLSV to say this team needs to be you know at least when you squint somewhat competitive Um, and if this team is you know within let's say the top eight top nine of the Eastern Conference, which isn't asking for a lot, right? It's, no. You, you have to be in the top 60% of your of your, <laughs> of your grade. Um, it, it, you're not asking for a whole lot. I think what will be really interesting there is do they, you know, continue to try to, to invest in this team? Uh, if they are, you know, closer to that, that middle of 10th, 11th, 12th, I, I do think there's a very high probability they trade in. Um, like uh, to set a number, I don't know, probably 80, 70, 80%, something like that. I think if they're competitive, uh, I think they'll try to, you know, uh, come back to him, tail between legs saying, hey, can we please sign you to an extension? And, you know, money's money. Like, I, I, I personally, I don't really care how someone gives me $192 million. I personally take <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> you know, within, within reason. Uh, but uh, so I, I think in that scenario, you know, I, I, these first, you know, six weeks, eight weeks of the season will be quite telling. I think like the perfect uh, sort of comparison is really that 2013-2014 uh, season where, you know, you start off the team is looking quite grim. It was not a good outlook. And they trade Rudy Gay. They're minutes, moments away from trading Kyle Lowry. And you get that incredible DeMar DeRozan quote about, it's, you know, it's either sink or swim and we're out here like Michael Phelps. And that they did. Yeah. They created a whole new era. Like that's that's one of the all-time sports quotes. And uh, so I, I think if they get to a point where they're able to create something, and a lot of that hinges on you know a Scotty Barnes, a lot of that hinges on an OG Ananobi, a lot of that hinges on Darko Ryakovich. So we'll see. Um, but these first six weeks, and that's why every preseason game I'm watching, you know, like I'm, I'm watching the end of a scary movie or something, you know, uh, edge of my seat, seeing what happens. <laughs> Well, it's it's going to be a long and tumultuous season for the Toronto Raptors, again, with Siakam's future up there in the air, along with OG Ananobi. We don't know if they are going to be sticking around long term. For Siakam specifically, though, is there a package that makes sense for him if the Raptors do explore trading him? Because obviously, you may ultimately only get half a season from him, no commitment for the long term. It's not exactly, you know, a Damian Lillard, a Damian Lillard type package, but if you can get like a young piece in a draft pick, is that like the best case scenario? for the Raptors or are you seeking more in a trade cash then? Well, so my, to be clear, the best case scenario is for these uh, folks at, in the front office to just recognize the error of their way. Uh, well, that to too. Just, <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is choice one. Uh, choice one, <laughs> sign this guy to an extension. It solves all of your problems. Um, 
because I, I, I've said this on another, I think I said it on the, the Yahoo Sports program, but like the most obvious comparison is Drew Holiday is 33. He got you Damian Lillard. And then you trade Drew Holiday again and he gets you, you know, this massive rebuilding package from from the Celtics. <laughs> like, so you can go either like Drew Holiday at age 33 is a clearly valuable player. He's on a big contract. It's coming close to ending. Right. You, you, you can get value from players in their, their late 30s or early 30s, I should say, because I think the NBA has such a, this warped view of age that hasn't caught up with modern medicine and sports science where, you know, LeBron James isn't, you know, I don't think anyone's going to do what he's doing at his age and years in the NBA. But I, I think what we're seeing with players in their early and mid 30s extending their primes further and further just says that we may have to rethink about how primes work. So put you know, with that caveat applied, I think the best thing the Raptors could possibly hope for is some kind of rebuilding package that's less around, you know, uh, a bunch of future picks that you know, have, an, an, you know, an indeterminate value, but instead looking at one or two really good young players that can slot in with your Scotty, with your OG, and uh, try to build something up from there. Uh, that that to me I think is the most realistic because if you're looking at the you know future pick scenario, really what you're either hoping for is you because you'll have to give Scotty a new deal, you know probably yeah. this summer, right? Uh, he'll mm-hmm. look for that extension. You're giving OG a big extension, so you're right back where you started anyways. You've got a, a big salary, not a lot of room to maneuver, um, and you'll you'll want some young players who can slot in and grow with this group versus having picks. You're either waiting for those picks to convey and you're, you're drafting some players that you hope are ready to contribute when, when Scotty and OG are, are in their primes, or you're trading them for a big, uh, big time player, um, like a Pascal Siakam, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, age, age is just a number, Cashton. I mean, you were alluding to the fact yes. that even being at Siakam's age, he's still in the prime of his life. I'm 35 years old. Stick me in the corner. Yeah. Sign me to a 10-day contract. I can knock down some open jumpers. No one's sticking their hand in Chris Walder's face if he's out there on an NBA court. But I, I kind of touched on this before, too. D- do you ever pay attention to these like these NBA ranking pieces that come out every season, like ESPN Rank or, or Bleacher Report? Do you give them any grain of salt, Cashton? Uh, I used to. I used to like really care. I, I, I was a really big DeMar DeRozan guy for a long time. Loved DeMar. Uh, and every year like, with him, like, you know, this, as the seasons change, I would get outraged at Chris Middleton over DeMar DeRozan again. And uh, at this point, maybe uh, maybe it's just like too many years of reading rankings. I, I just can't get energized to care anymore because it's the same thing where and actually like Pascal Siakam does get better treatment. I wouldn't say good treatment, but better treatment than DeMar ever did. DeMar was maybe one of the most disrespected players by these rankings ever. Yep. Um, I, just as a quick tangent, I remember listening to this podcast this summer, uh, DeMar was a free agent. And the debate was, who would you rather max out? DeMar or Nicola Batum? And the consensus was Nicola Batum. And he would obviously oh, give boy. him a max because he's a, he's a better catch and shoot three-point shooter. So you have to pay him hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, <laughs> you know, of course, we saw how that went. Um, so no, I, I don't really like. I, I think for me, the thing that gets my my energy going to actually engage is just when I see things that are like just obviously misrepresenting facts. 
Like, I think the the opinion stuff of who's the 25th or 26th best black, I don't know, you're splitting hairs at that point. I don't really care. But uh, what I really pay more attention to is just when uh, the core of who a person is and what they mean to the franchise misrepresented. Like, that's why I had such a big reaction to, here's a selfish player who, you know, doesn't think about anyone else but but himself and is ruining the Raptors. And I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> this is not who I like. I have eyes. I've watched this sport for like. I'm not again. I'm not an expert. I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. I watch this, but I I, I have eyes. I've watched a lot of these games. You don't tell me what I'm seeing is made up or I've imagined it. And that's what gets like. That's what really energizes me now to like keep this account going. It's just like pointing out those moments more so than. Well, Pascal Siakam was ranked 26 versus 24th or 20. He's like I, I know he's better than Jalen Brown. He's a more complete player, all of that. But like, am I going to do like a two or three tweet thread and start a cool tweet? Like, no, I, I can't be bothered. Like, you know, I went for, <laughs> do I went it for, for the content. <laughs> do it for the I, content, Kasten. I went for a sleep study recently. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get my health right. Like, I'm trying to try to sleep better. <laughs> <laughs> I can't worry about all this. Like, so that's like I, I try to pick and choose my spots. Like, just try to. I'd rather. I'd rather. You know, if you if you see a, a tweet thread from me, like I try to. You know. It, it has to be worth my time as much as it's worth anyone else's. Man, I'm jealous about the, the, the sleep there. I've been up since 4.30 this morning. My wife was on uh, my laptop trying to get us dinner reservations for a Disney World trip uh, that we're taking oh, later this year. So I'm excited about that, but it, it's been a long morning. And, and just for the record, for anyone out there um, curious, ESPN Rank did have Pascal Siakam slotted at 25th. I know you mentioned 24th and 26th. I don't care. He's actually 25th, so he's right down the middle. A pretty fair ranking for Siakam, and that kind of leads me into the latter portion of this podcast. But before we get into it, Cashton, I I do want to thank you for your time here today. Truly do appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you talk hoops and MLSC and everything in between. It's been a great show so far. But before we sign off, I do have some fun questions, including a ranking system to send you on your way. Okay, let's do it. I've started doing this new recurring segment on the show. It's heavily influenced by a TikTok trend in which people do what they call blind rankings. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw Mm. the names of five Toronto Raptors at you and you're going to rank them blindly one at a time without not, without knowing who the next name is. So this could be very interesting here. Uh, They're all wing players for the Raptors, both current and past players. So rank them one through five. And the first name I'm going to throw at you, Cashton, is Norman Powell. Mm, Okay. So one through five, Norm. Oh gosh. I thought when like when Norm went to, was at summer league, I thought he was going to be Dwayne Wade. So I'm a like again, I'm oh boy. maybe skew skew more optimistic. Than, but I love Norm. Uh, bumped into him very briefly at that draft party I mentioned. Uh, <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say three. I think he's like perfect right down the middle. Give Norm a three. One of the highlights of the NBA championship parade, he was getting drunk there. He was like hanging off of Cabby Richards. It was a great sight. Norman Powell, you have at number three. Next up, Cashton, OG Ananobi. So all time. Oh god. All time wings. So the, You're ranking them against the the other names on this list. So the 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 challenge here is going to be you're definitely gonna throw surely a Kawhi or or a Vince or someone of that ilk. And because of 
my online reputation, I assume Pascal is going to be there. So I have to save one for Pascal, of course. Um, and then to put OG at two would mean uh, there's going to be someone. I, I gotta, I, it's not right. Like I would put OG ahead of Norm if I didn't have to do this blindly. But given the set of options I have, I'm going to put him four. Because if only because norm saved the franchise with his performance against indiana see this is the fun part of this list first off i'm not going to be switching any of the names last minute i have them written down oh, yeah, here so i'm not going to throw you a curveball um but i i love how you assume some of the names i'm going to say this is going to get really fun here so we have norman powell at three og and yeah. at four next up cashton terrence ross oh buddy yeah love, love you terrence <laughs> that's gotta be a five for me that's gotta be a five so you we have know, norman what, what, <laughs> One quick aside about Terrence Ross. I one yeah. my brother is more ta- my my brother's more tapped in with like uh, celebrity culture and all that. And we're at the game one day. Uh, this is like a January game against Utah. It's like a really random game. And uh, we see we look like courtside and we just see like, this this woman with a shaved head walk around. And my brother goes, "Is that Amber Rose?" And I was like, "What's Amber Rose doing here?" <laughs> and uh, we both speculate like. I bet, he, I bet she's dating someone on the Raptors of Utah Jazz. And it made more sense that she was dating a Raptor. And lo and behold, it was Terrence Ross. So slam dunk champion, uh, past, you know, a social companion of Amber Rose. Uh, good job, Terrence Ross. Number five. Man, you're digging into the vault today. Amber uh, Amber Rose out of there. I've totally forgot about her relationship with Terrence Ross. But you have Norman Powell at three. OG Ananobi uh, as at two, I believe. Or was it? I'm already four. forgetting the rankings. You added four. All right, so Powell three, yeah. Ananobi four, Terrence Ross five. Next up, Cashton, Morris Peterson. Oh, brother, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, he's a legend. He's a legend. Kissed the court when he, on his return uh, with the New Orleans Hornets. Uh, yeah, we'll put him at two. We'll put him at two. He's a Raptors legend. People love him. One of the, the most infamous shots in Toronto Raptors history against the Washington Wizards when he just chucked it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I still say to this day that Karan Butler fouled him. It should have been a four-point play, but neither here nor there. Uh, so we have Mor- Morris Peterson at two, Norman Powell three, OG Ananobi four, uh, and uh, Terrence Ross at five. Last but not least, and I guess you have to slot him at number one, is DeMar DeRozan. Perfect. Yeah, one. Let's do it. Yeah, easy. Are you okay with I, these I rankings? That, are you are, are you are, are you okay with how this list turned out, Cashton? I, I am not. I, I am not satisfied, but I'm okay. I I can live with this given the the set of facts I had ahead of time. Uh, my <laughs> assumption was that there was going to be like a, a Demar type legend coming, so I wanted to save that one spot. Um, my where I went wrong was you know uh, assuming that a Pascal would, was coming too. So. Uh, but no, I think, yeah, I'm happy. Like, DeMar is, to me, one of the greatest Raptors ever. Uh, he's one of the league's most unique players. I love watching DeMar play. And, yeah, he deserves, if, if wherever I can give him his shine. Uh, I, and I'll, for the record, I put Chris Middleton sixth on this list. Yes, that's what I'm here for, the Chris Middleton slander. But you know what? I know you're the Pascal fan club. I had to throw you a curveball, Cash, and I can't just go Siakam from start to finish here. I had to throw some names from the past. I, I should have I should have read that better, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I I'm okay. I'm okay with how the list turned out, and I'm happy Demar gets to shine at number one. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll ask you a Siakam related question now, and this is based off your social media. What's the most Torontonian Pascal Siakam has ever been? Was it when he was surprised that the TTC Transit in Toronto wasn't free, or was it when he revealed he's never been to a Maple Leafs game? Oh God! I mean, those are the those are the top two. Like. I think the TTC not being free thing, 
was such a blend. I, I love that moment more than anything because it's it's someone who very clearly has like some sense of like what's right and wrong, but is also so incredibly wealthy that he's completely detached from like the trains and buses. Like I, like, I don't know. How do you all, does, it, does this cost you money? Like you have to pay for this. You pay to sit on a big thing that moves slowly. Uh, so I really, I, I tr like it's truly one of the most spectacular moments because it comes from, I think a really good place. I think it just shows like, you know, you make a certain amount, like you're going to be super detached and that's okay. Uh, but it happens to be in line with my personal worldview that, you know, transit should be free and people should be able to get around without having to worry about the, the cost of it. And uh, yeah, so that, that to me, uh, just a, a general sort of vague hand wave at the TTC is the most Torontonian he's ever been. Pascal Siakam, a man of the people here in Toronto, definitely not selfish front office, just uh, putting it out there. But <laughs> Cashton, I, no. I, ask everyone this, <laughs> I ask everyone this on the podcast, and especially during when we were in the pandemic and everyone had a lot of free time. I'm curious what you currently find yourself binge watching. And if it's not anything at the moment, what's the last great show that you've watched? So my wife and I are back into, we're doing a rewatch of Mad Men right now. Um, okay. I lo love Mad Men. Uh, we watched it for the first time over the pandemic. And I just, I think like the the appetite for TV at that stage was just so different. Um, like we watched all seven seasons of Mad Men. I'm honestly a bit embarrassed to say, probably in the span of about 28 days. It was just, <laughs> like, nothing wrong with could that. Not stop, could not stop consuming it. It was, it was it was bad. Uh, we did Game of Thrones like maybe a year ago, and we did that in the span of about I'd say four or five weeks as well. It was just a lot of just. Uh, so I'd say like really enjoying the Mad Men rewatch. I'll say one of the shows I absolutely adore and I rewatched recently is The Good Wife. I just for whatever reason it's quite comforting to me to just mm -hmm. watch Alicia Florrick solve uh, different uh, court cases uh, in great pantsuits. Uh, what's something <laughs> new? I guess I'm really sad Winning Time is gone. I really enjoyed Winning Time. Uh, and I, I kind of, I like this idea of the NBA's equivalent of The Crown existing. And sad to see that go. So, you know, an RIP to The Crown. Oh, not to The Crown. That, that one's bad. But an RIP to Winning Time. <laughs> did, the, did the Boston Celtics, I haven't watched it. They won the championship in the final episode, correct? Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, All they right, did. Worst show ever. <laughs> yeah, like it was like, but it, it was, yeah, it was, I should have known when the season was just seven episodes. It felt maybe a bit abrupt. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it, that was, I'm trying to think. Oh, actually one, one thing, it's not a TV show, but it's something I would really recommend for anyone who likes podcasts. And if you listen to a podcast like you are now, you might like other podcasts too. Uh, it's called, it's by <laughs> New York Times and, and Serial. It's called The Retrievals. And it's about the experience of, it's a five episode series and it's about um, women going through IVF and the egg retrieval process. And normally this is something, you know, it's uh, that you get some kind of pain management for. And the story is about a bunch of, you know, dozens of women who went through this procedure without any kind of pain management because of, uh, you know, some drug diversion that was happening at the clinic and it's exploring, you know, experiences of pain and all that stuff. It's a fascinating podcast series. Um, and quite moving. I really enjoyed that one. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a quick, you know, it's five episodes. So if anyone's, you know, <laughs> listen to finish this first, make sure to get my ranking of Chris Middleton and then jump into it. <laughs> 
damn, a podcast with purpose and soul, unlike the Walder Sportscast, which is just here for no, the sake I, of being here. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say it. I actually, I quite, I quite enjoy what you do because I think it's about conversation. It's about getting to the core of people. And I think that, you know, as opposed to, because I think sometimes, and I wouldn't say you have a podcast just for it to exist either. Like, I, I, I would be kinder to yourself. Like, you've got you've got something where you're looking Thank to you. form, form meaningful connections, right? It's not just, oh, let's, you know, what's the best bet of the night, like, you know, uh, sharing my own views on sports gambling there. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's about what people are passionate about, what people care about, and trying to get to the core of that through conversation. Like, I think that's that's really exciting. So, yeah, like, I think everything has some, has some kind of positive meaning, you know, when it comes from a good place, ultimately. So, yeah, no, I think, like, I, I shout out that one because... I, I, there's something about the serial style of production for podcasts or like the music drops and I get chills every time, even if I've listened to it <laughs> two or right. three times, like, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, Sarah Koenig, she's, she's the podcast like Martin Scorsese. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the kind words, Cash, and I really do appreciate that. That's kind of like the, the format of this podcast. I could talk straight hoops, straight basketball, but everyone else does that and they probably do it to a far greater extent than I ever could. I like having conversations with people and, and diving a little bit deeper and thank god twitter's still around because again that's the crux of my research and that's kind of where i go to my final question here another recurring question on the walder sportscast if social media died tomorrow you know x or twitter or whatever you want to call it goes down in this gigantic mm -hmm. blaze of glory as does your pascal propaganda fan account what is the one thing you would want your followers to most remember you for gosh um hmm i don't know that's a really good question. Um, I hope that, you know, uh, I, that I cared about our community. I think that's the big thing. Like, I really do care about uh, people supporting the Toronto Raptors and like, having a community around that. I don't really care about the, the sort of corporate entity that is, you know, Toronto Raptors Incorporated. I care about, you know, our, our, our silly dinosaur logo and the people who love it and all the memories we have. So just that I, I, I deeply more than anything care about that. Like that's at my core, so important. Like the people I've had, just people you meet on the street, people you just get to talking to at games and pick up basketball, wherever. Like this is community we have around basketball. Whether you're really good at the sport, whether you're terrible at it, whether you, you know, are a fair weather fan, whether you're in it, you know, <laughs> in the trenches. I just like that we have this thing that uh, not that many other cities have and, we can, you know, you know, share joy and, and misery in it together. Like that's the thing I'd want to anyone to take away from what I do. Well, well, Cashton, you're a huge part of Toronto Raptors Twitter. You're a good man to boot, and I, I always appreciate your takes and everything that you try to accomplish with your account. I'm so excited I, I was able to get you on the podcast here today. I always appreciate your time. Before we sign off, though, just remind the listeners where they can find you on the web. Yeah, so you can find me if you search up Pascal Propaganda on Twitter or the at Pascal Fan Club. It's, we're a one account, uh, one platform account, so you don't have to go far. And uh, the other thing I'll remind, we'll be doing that that ticket raffle. So if you if you want a chance, you know, to contribute to a good cause at Sojourn House, um, and at the same time, you know, have a chance to win some some tickets to an upcoming game, uh, you'll see that on my page uh, probably uh, shortly after this gets posted. So. 
really uh, appreciate you having me on. It's a bit stunned. <laughs> you know, if someone had told me a couple of years ago when I'd started this thing, people cared about uh, talking to me, I'd be a bit surprised. Uh, but, you know, I appreciate your interest nonetheless. So thank you. And that was my interview with Cashton. That's at Pascal Fan Club on Twitter. And a friendly reminder to check out the raffle he's currently hosting on his account. A $10 donation gets you entered in a draw for a pair of tickets to see the Toronto Raptors host the Minnesota Timberwolves on October 25th in the season opener at Scotiabank arena and this is per cashton's page and i quote toronto is home to newcomers and refugees from around the world whether it's due to war natural disasters or displacement transitioning to a new community country and culture comes with significant challenges this fundraiser is all about ensuring individuals and families arriving in toronto are provided the necessary support and services as they get settled now, this has been episode 70 of the Walder Sportscast. Once again, a giant thank you to Cashton for joining me on today's program. And if you like what you hear, give the show a rating and review and subscribe to the podcast while you're at it. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, Amazon, basically all other major podcast libraries. And we'll be back hopefully next week with another episode as the NBA season gets underway very, very soon. So for now, that's another one in the books. So as always, thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.